scripture is John 4, 5 through 30, and also 39 through 42. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sankar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out of his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who is in that, this is saying to you, Give me a drink, you wouldn't have, I'm sorry, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will never will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I would give them would never be thirsty. The water that I give that I would give you will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you, will worship the, when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that, that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who had told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Many Samaritans from the city believed in him, and because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe.
for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the savior of the world. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Regina, for uh, persevering <laughs> through most of John chapter 4. Um, John chapter 4 happens, as you know, on the heels of John chapter 3. And I want you to consider the differences between John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. In John 3, Nicodemus, in a religious insider, comes to meet Jesus. Do you remember when he comes to meet Jesus? In the night, in the darkness. And he leaves that conversation not understanding who Jesus is or what Jesus is doing. He leaves an outsider. And in John chapter 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well when? Do you remember? Noon, in the broad daylight at this well. And a Samaritan woman is certainly an outsider certainly on the fringe of society. I just find it interesting, the difference between these two chapters and what John might be saying to us about Jesus and who the gospel is out there reaching for and towards. Now it's March, and we're long past Christmas trees and Santa Claus, but this morning's text reminds me of the third verse of one of my favorite Christmas carols. It came upon a midnight clear. You know that, that, that carol, don't you? It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old from angels bending near to the earth to strum their harps of gold. You know that one? You remember the third verse? It's okay. It's March. It's okay. The third verse that Edmund Sears wrote in 1849 goes like this. And ye beneath life's crushing load whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. Look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Have you ever felt like you've been beneath life's crushing load, bent low by the crushing weight of life? Have you ever felt loneliness, silence, and isolation. I know I have. And I'm certain that you have as well. Now fast forward 117 or so years to a man named Paul McCartney. Not that Paul that you were probably thinking of. <laughs> to Paul McCartney who once looked out his window at the world in the street below and wrote the following words. He wrote, ah, the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they belong? Eleanor Rigby was written in 1966. Those words still explain and describe the world we live in today. Ah, look at all the lonely people. In a world that is more and more connected than ever before, we find ourselves more and more alone. Have you ever noticed just how lonely the world is? How many people or beneath life's crushing load. Maybe you've, you've even felt it from time to time, that even though you are connected through your cell phone and your email accounts and all those social media outlets, that this world is still a very cold and lonely place. The text you heard read this morning is a text about a woman who must have felt that same deep sense 
of loneliness that we all feel. Not only that, she must have felt the crushing weight of life bearing down on her. Now we know a little bit about this woman who meets Jesus at Jacob's well. She was a Samaritan, an outcast from the Jewish temple and religious culture. She, like her Samaritan kinfolk, were considered to be less than dogs by the Jews because they had intermarried with other races during the Jewish exile and had opposed the rebuilding efforts of the Jews when they returned from Babylon. But an even bigger dispute between the Samaritans and the Jews was where you were supposed to worship at. The Jews believed that you could only worship God in God's presence on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The Samaritans said, no, 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 it's on Mount Gerizim. That's the place where you should go to worship God. Jews worshiped in Jerusalem, Samaritans on Mount Gerizim. The Jews so despised the Samaritans that if they had to go north through Samaria, they would actually choose to go east and walk around Samaria rather than to walk through that land. These people really didn't like each other, which makes Jesus' encounter with this woman crushed by the weight of life, all the more surprising. Even more surprising is the fact that Jesus even ventured to talk to her. During this time and in this culture, men and women didn't associate with one another. It was improper, and to do so might have suggested that something improper was going on. So when Jesus engages in conversation with this this Samaritan woman at the well, just by having a conversation with you, Jesus is crossing all sorts of boundaries, religious and social, just in speaking to this woman at the well. But there's more. As their conversation reveals, this woman has had five husbands. Now some of you will think, oh, she must be an adulterous woman. I don't actually think that that's the case here. I think most likely this woman was barren. She was unable to bear children, which meant that each of, in each of those five marriages, she was seen as disposable. So she was divorced, abandoned, left crushed by the brokenness of her life and the brokenness of her situation. So broken and so crushed that she doesn't go out early in the morning with the other women to draw water from Jacob's well. She waits until the heat of the day when she's certain that she will be alone to go and draw the water, to avoid the gossip and the shame that always seems to be there. But on this day, Jesus is there at the well. And Jesus does the unthinkable. He breaks the rules and conventions of his days of his day to speak to this unnamed Samaritan woman. This woman that Jesus meets at Jacob's well, a place that was supposed to bring peace and sustenance and hope. She's been leaving day after day, emptier and emptier, thirstier and thirstier. She knew just how despised her people were. She knew her place in society, and she knew the very brokenness that she felt inside. But what's remarkable to me is the picture that this paints of Jesus in the Gospels. How Jesus consistently offers people like her the opportunity to be closest to God. You see, friends, Jesus, throughout the Gospels, consistently extends grace to those who are outsiders and outcasts. 
Jesus consistently goes to those who are on the fringes of societies, tax collectors, sinners. That's who Jesus is in deep relationship with. Friends, the last really do become first, and the first do become last. And it sometimes seems like Jesus would rather hang out with lepers and losers and liars and the lame than be around the good, upstanding temple folk. I think Jesus is often found among the outcasts and sinners because they're real people. They're not trying to dress up for anybody. They're not trying to be anybody that they're not. The Samaritan woman certainly isn't. She doesn't shy away from responding when Jesus engages with her. We know that she's bothered by her situation because as soon as Jesus mentions that she has five husbands, she retreats to a safer topic, religion. Can you imagine religion being safer than your relationship status? But nevertheless, nevertheless, Jesus chooses to trust this woman, this Samaritan, this outsider, this outcast with a very important truth. Something that Jesus, to this point in John's gospel, hasn't told anyone, even his closest disciples. He tells her, this woman, crushed under the weight of life, suffering in loneliness and in silence, that he's the Messiah. He's the one that she and her people, and in fact the whole world, have been waiting for. And what he offers her is an opportunity to receive life-giving grace from God. Water that will cause her to thirst no more. Water that will well up inside of her unto everlasting life. Jesus meets her at the well. And he doesn't let her nationality And he doesn't let her life situation, he doesn't let her brokenness be an excuse for withholding grace from her. Now, I don't want to assume anything this morning, but I bet a lot of us in this room have felt like that Samaritan woman. A lot of us have felt like the whole world is pressing down on us, like the world is against us, like nobody cares about us and the deck is stacked against us. That is a human feeling, friends. It's human to feel that way from time to time, to feel lonely or lost or left behind. That's a human feeling, friends. The amazing thing about this story is the way Jesus comes to meet this woman right where she is at. And it shows us, demonstrates for us, that God's love and God's grace is available to us no matter where we've been, no matter who we're related to, no matter what we've done, no matter what our backstory may be. Jesus is willing to meet us at our well and cross boundaries in order to reach us so that we can know salvation and everlasting life through him so that we can experience living water for ourselves. But friends, don't miss this. Jesus doesn't just cross boundaries for this one woman's sake. Jesus crosses boundaries for the sake of an entire nation, an entire people, an entire city. Jesus, in interacting with this woman, who is probably outcast even from her own community, opens up salvation for an entire town. Jesus breaks boundaries so that whole communities can know what salvation looks like. Do you remember what the townspeople say 
after Jesus spends two days. We forget that Jesus didn't just pick up his bag and say, thank you for the water and get back on the road with the disciples. He spent two days in Samaria with the people of this city at the very end of the scripture text. It says these words that we no longer believe just because of what you said. Thank you for interacting with her, Jesus. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man is the savior of the world. Jesus, when he breaks boundaries to meet this woman at the well, invites not only her, but our whole city into relationship with him. Because he was willing to bypass the conventions and the rules and have a real conversation with a real person that led to transformation not only for her, but for her whole town. John throughout his gospel emphasizes that God put on flesh and lived amongst us full of grace and truth. It's grace and truth that set this Samaritan woman free. It's grace and truth that set the entire city free. It's grace and truth that have set us free, friends. Shouldn't we, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, also be about setting others free and sharing grace and the truth of God with them? Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we remember as God's people that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him, to reconcile the world through him. Jesus comes to offer us grace, to break the boundaries that we've established so that the whole world might know salvation. Jesus takes a risk in sharing grace with a woman who's outcast. And the result is a whole town coming to faith. What might happen if you and I extend the same kind of grace to those who've been branded outcasts around us? What might happen if we risk having a conversation about faith with someone who's beneath life's crushing load, lost and lonely? Maybe a relationship could be healed. Maybe a family could be restored. Maybe a whole town will come to know Jesus all because, of instead, because instead of keeping abundant life a secret, we chose to share it just like Jesus did. Ah, look at all the lonely people. I wonder what holds us back from reaching out to them and living into the future that God has prepared for us all. Friends, Jesus is the one who meets us in our loneliness, in our brokenness, in our hurt, in our pain, in our sorrow, and offers us living water, new life, and a new family. He's the one who calls us to leave our jars behind and to tell the world about the grace that God has made available to us all.
may we follow the example of Jesus and break boundaries that others might know the love of God for themselves. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, today I want to lift up those who, for the very first time, are deciding to put their faith in you, Lord. Who, for the very first time, are are saying, yes, Jesus, I want this living water that you offer me. I want an abundant life. I want a life that's free from guilt and shame. Lord, we pray for those who are making that first commitment to you, God, asking that you strengthen them, Lord, that you give them confidence to call on your name and to reach out to their brothers and sisters in faith, God, that they might grow and become the person that you created them to be with purpose and with vision and with life, God. And we pray, God, for those of us who who many times have met you at the well, Lord, who've experienced salvation and new life, And we pray, God, that we would put down our jars to tell the world of your great love. That we would not be ashamed of your gospel or ashamed of those that you came to deliver that gospel to. So that we might be your hands, your feet, and your voice in this world. So that your kingdom might truly come on earth as it is in heaven. Help us, God, to be your hands and feet in this world. Allow us to be agents of your grace, agents of your truth, agents who bring abundant life and good news to those around them. Commission us, Lord, for this holy work. Let your spirit reign inside of us, that in all seasons we might have peace, joy, and life that draws others to you. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.